0: Welcome to this week's HSJ Health Check podcast. I'm your host, Annabelle Collins, and this week I'm joined by Deputy Editor Dave West and Senior Correspondent Rebecca Thomas. Covid and its impact on the NHS is, of course, still dominating the headlines. But this week on the podcast, we're discussing something that could have easily fallen under the radar. The Care Quality Commission published a report highlighting the shocking experience of patients experiencing a mental health crisis in an acute hospital and also a follow up on mental health rehabilitation units. Um, Rebecca is HSJ's mental health um, expert and Rebecca, you've been particularly focusing on um, the first of those two reports on mental health provision in the acute sector. Um, Could you tell listeners what some of the key findings were in that report to kick us off?
1: Yeah, of course. So I I chose to focus on this report in a recent column because it's an often, um, an area that's not often looked at, um, is the the experience and care of mental health patients within acute hospitals. Uh, The CQC um, have been looking into this for the past couple of years, I'm aware. Well, this is a report uh, that we've been waiting for for a while. Um, Unsurprisingly, the the report was very heavily focused on emergency departments, which as most people will know, patients, um, mental health patients who experience a crisis, um, ED is one of the most common places which they turn up to and present. Um, Overall, the picture was that the experience is largely terrible. terrible within for mental health patients with an EDs I mean they're just not they're not set up to be in an appropriate environment I mean I wasn't uh, a conversation not too long ago um, a contact of mine described the treatment uh, of mental health patients within one really big acute trust as appalling um, um and but it's a well-known issue um and obviously it's not that's not an issue that's just down down it's not an issue that's just um is the owner the onus is not only on acute trust to address this i think um uh the if you read the report there are wider issues such as the mental health lack of training uh training on the uh, mental health act and mental capacity act so i think and this could be incorrect so listeners please don't quote me on this i think there's only about one week of training on the mental health act um um one week uh, when you're uh, training to be a um a, a nurse or um doctor i believe so but anyway i think this brings up this report is important as it brings up a wider issue of mental health and physical health still being largely seen and set separately um and integration integration the need for integration between the two has been talked about for years and years and there probably has been there probably have been kind of small moves and small um, progression to question towards this however and i would be keen to dic- discuss this with you both um, I think there is a risk the pandemic and the policies which are responding to the pandemic actually um, may send that agenda backwards because if you think about it a lot of the policies are kind of right now is protect protect the acute sector Uh, Because it's dealing with COVID mainly, um, do all you can to kind of keep patients that shouldn't be in there out, particularly, for example, the, I must have discussed this in the podcast uh, um, last month, I think, um, the new ED models, for example, it's all kind of divert patients away and adds to that idea that mental health does not belong within the acute arena. So I'd just be interested to get your take on it.
2: Is it? I guess. Well, I'll throw back a a question at you, Rebecca. Mm. You know, you said, is it uh, wrong? It gives out the idea that mental health is not welcome in, that is not welcome in the acute setting. And um, is that, um, you know, is that essentially right? You know, clearly some people with mental health conditions are going to be in acute um, physical. Healthcare because they may have acute physical need or like lots of people on wards with who have dementia and things like that. Um, but um, is it broadly um, the view, or is is it right that actually if they all these people who come to A and E with a he- mental health need? Um, if services were working properly, they wouldn't have been there. So actually, it's right that they're not welcome there in a sense. way. They should be welcome if that's the place of last resort. But if services were working well otherwise, then they shouldn't really be there. Is that is that right?
1: I think that's I mean, that's largely um, that's largely the argument. Obviously, there are big there are a large proportion of patients. <laughs> That I understand that attending A and E um, with a mental health crisis that do have your physical healthcare needs, whether that be because of self harm, attempted suicide, or um, because of kind of drug or alcohol related issues. Mm. So you do have a significant trunk
2: that mm.
1: have um, and yeah. The CQC
2: and it, saying care for them is is very poor as well.
1: Yes, yeah, so the CQC seem to be saying the the care and experience within emergency departments and acute acute trust more widely is poor for mental health patients and for example they they spotlighted um uh, so the one case study um talked about a patient's experience of what they call safe rooms which are sort of like rooms that are just off ed for mental health patients to wait to be assessed by the mental health liaison team and um, wait for a bed for example um and this patient described it as bare, with a mattress on the floor <laughs> Um, um, so, I mean, in, in terms of that, even the room set up for the mental health patient coming to ED was not adequate.
2: It's poor. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, hard, hard, to, I mean, to, it's hard, hard to know whether that particular thing has been exacerbated by by um, the sort of the conditions for people who do need to be in A&E um, and do have mental health um condition and uh, you know and how are they treated during covid it's possible like it seems um likely that given the the kind of extra measures and um sort of um kind of anxiety about spacing and everything that it would there would be some knock-on problems but the, but yeah the main i guess the main point being about um access to um access to the services that, that to gain to access to the right services for people with mental health conditions um, Having got worse during COVID, I think is is it seems to me to be likely that is the case, and the access to NHS services in general has got um, has got worse. Which is, uh, you know, it's sort of on the one hand, I suppose you might be sort of stating the obvious because the NHS is treating loads more patients and having to deal with the spacing and dealing with all the complexity of infection, other complexities of infection control. So clearly, there's going to be some um negative sort of rolling back the frontier of access it seems to me and that is always likely to affect the most uh sort of vulnerable or excluded or groups that are, are less likely to um get to the right access they need um anyway um, so it's most whether that's um, you know different so, uh sort of uh people uh socio-economic groups or ethnic groups or people with mental health conditions or learning disabilities or things are often likely to lose access because of um when when the sort of frontier of access is rolled back, it's always it's just interesting uh, I don't know if we've covered this on the podcast yet it might be a sort of another kind of con- controversial one for a different week, but the this discuss about access to general practice um and the sort of real um kind of hostility that seems to have been shown to some gps and then kind of hostility back in the other direction I think of uh, people who have questioned whether access is remaining good Um, I've possibly not really answered the question directly there but I I do think that people who need access to mental health services will have um, in some cases will be finding it really difficult because of the various um, changes that have been been made
1: yeah I mean of course and um, the increase in um, people attending emergency departments with a mental health crisis is going to be a symptom of a lack of care and lack of access to service prior to that most likely um this is where kind of um it's, it's interesting um the uh the access to general practice and uh, the public backlash that that has um that, that yeah uh,
2: someone someone genuinely like scrawled offensive graffiti on a gp practice rule that it? seems quite something doesn't it but um and obviously is you know, unfair because GPs have gone through um, general practice and primary care have, have gone through all kinds of changes and difficult pressures um, through this period as well. Um, but you know, I think it's it sort of seems to me wrong that it's that it is not possible to debate the issues with access to primary care in in this time without getting sort of you know. Without that becoming too, uh, these things should be able to be debated and discussed that there are problems accessing primary care. Um, we're probably diverging a bit, but it reminds me of the issue about um, 111, because of course this this idea that um, people are being sent away from, uh, will be sent away from accident and emergency departments um, because they should have called if, 111 if they don't have an urgent health need and to, or to book in an appointment, and it's been raised that that might um, cause extra problems for people who have mental health conditions or um, you know uh, don't not inclined to access 111 for whatever other reason or other services but it it sort of underlines that a lot lot of the debate with mental health seems to be like it would be you know we wouldn't need all these things if, um, if the proper services at an earlier stage were there or the proper alternatives and the proper community services um, and, you know, I don't know, I, the, 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 there's some anecdotal suggestions that actually there are things are working reasonably well with that, but um, anecd- all, the, all the anecdotes suggesting that that the services are not likely to be there and, um, you know, and like you said, bec- with this sort of the kind of frontiers of sort of access being, um, you know, rolled back in my opinion to, to uh, most NHS services, um, the ones that um, are likely to be kind of protected or the ones that are likely to be there is the sort of is the emergency care of last resort it's sort of like you know you can go to A&E if you're if you've got a real severe health need and and obviously there's a lot of advertising going out about you should seek care particularly if you've you're you know having severe sort of heart attack or some stroke or something like that Um, and you know you can still call 999 and if you're in the most serious category then you should get some kind of um Response, um, um, but um, but yeah, as soon as you're you're not at that very acute end. So we we're talking, you know, been doing we've been doing some work as well about um, people who are dying. Greater numbers of people are dying at home, uh, not from COVID during this period, and there's all kinds of questions about why that is. But some signal to people with long-term health and care needs, whether that be you know often physical health as well but kind of people with long-term health and care needs are finding it hard to get um get access to the stuff they need um, yeah. really during this period and there's a bit of a little bit of denial about that and kind of mm. nhs rebuttal where actually I'm not really sure why the nhs feels the need to rebut that seeing as it's always likely to be the case to some extent
1: mm. David, have you had i don't know do you get the feeling that that um with access with people with existing, so let's take long term conditions for example, is starting to hit or starting to bite and starting to sharpen the data already, or do we think that that is a kind of longer term going to be a a, a longer term issue? Uh,
2: I well, we do see. I mean, in the data, the, w- there's not much good data on. Um, I don't think there's really great sort of like real time data on access for people uh, on the kind of what services are available for people with long-term conditions. There is data now on what kind of amount of GP appointments are going on and unfortunately I don't have it on my fingertips. Um, uh, clearly there's been quite a big shift of phone appointments and, um, and whatnot and that, see that affects some people with, who have long-term care needs and looking for help from their GP. Um, there are these Heightened level of deaths which are taking place at home much greater than normal for the time of year Um, and there's a lot of debate about why that's taking place um, possibly due to um, uh, possibly in large part due to to decisions that people should die in when they come to end-of-life care that they should die at home rather than in hospital. And, um, you know, which arguably for some people is the right thing to do anyway, Um, but there's concern about whether they really have the support in place and so on and so on. And, you know, some people, there's certainly a view out there that actually some of those, some of that mortality could have been avoided if it was, um, if, you know, if it hadn't been for coronavirus essentially. Um, And there's kind of lurking concern behind it that even if people aren't dying at home, if they are living with long term sort of heightened health needs at home, are they really getting the support? that they that they need um there uh, otherwise i mean it would be good you know it's a case where actually like it would be useful to have a more live um data we did publish a piece last week um i think it was that um about based on social media um kind of uh, uh, discussion of the nhs which had showed that you know actually satisfaction and positivity about the nhs had gone up a lot during the um since about March when coronavirus particularly hit the UK um, and that uh, you know, they, they'd obviously gone to some efforts to disentangle, put actual feelings about actual services from the general like clapping of the NHS and, you know, uh, being grateful for, for it being there and the and, and coronavirus. Um, so there did seem to be some evidence actually people were more satisfied with NHS services, but, you know, what you really need is much more detailed sort of survey evidence or something like that or proper research into the experience of people with, um, uh, who live living with long-term conditions or uh, including mental health conditions
1: that's often i mean the lack of kind of live data live information live um up-to-date info is often the problem i think for kind of I'm not again i'm bringing up the the acute sector versus others as it's not to kind of create us and them kind of idea but for if you're for if you're non-acute service for example mental health there is very little kind of live data on uh capacity and pressures if that makes sense and you got the idea that what isn't what what isn't measured isn't tackled um whereas you you do have more we do have more regular data on anyway yeah I, don't, I
2: suppose mental health patients waiting for more than 12 hours in a and e is um has been pretty prominent in the data and according to what you're saying has not really been, that issue has not been tackled. I suppose perhaps the length, the amount and length of weights has been addressed but not other things about, um, not other things about the, the care perhaps.
0: Yeah. In terms of that sort of inequality, Rebecca you said you didn't want to be too us and them but um, there was a quite um, a kind of standout line in your in your column the one we've sort of been talking around from um, Saffron Caudry. So for those who don't know, NHS providers, deputy chief executive, um, I believe this is in another piece, um, yeah. but she was accusing the government of structural discrimination um, and this was after the um, the um, kind of further detail on the 40 new hospitals. Um, some more details were published on that. I think it was last week or maybe the week before, um, but um, there were due to be six mental health units in this announcement um and they're not there anymore is that is that right
1: yeah allegedly it's um it was um uh, it was she was being quoted by in, in a in a guardian article mm. um and um said they were meant to be six six mental health um hospitals part of that announcement which uh didn't find its way to the final list um i don't know the um the uh, honestly don't know the ins and outs of why that might be but um the neglect of capital for mental health has been a long long mm. long standing issue um, obviously there was that there has been a recent bung of capital specifically for dormitory wards Yeah, but but which is and, which that, is, and has that
2: been confirmed because there was a question mark about whether that had sort of was coming through the pipeline properly uh,
1: it has it has been confirmed but as i understand it Trusts haven't started receiving the money yet, so we won't see the impacts of that likely this year at all. Um, um there, is, there should be some urgency with that because there's a particular, there's a particular um, risk with COVID in terms of dormitory wards, um,
2: infection oh, control risk. My, uh, yeah, sort of <laughs> slight, uh, slight scepticism about these capital things being attached to. How long does it take to build one of those?
1: Well, you think about some of the units; they're going to have to completely re- rebuild a rebuild a unit to, uh, if they want to not lose beds. <laughs> mm.
0: Yeah, and, uh, Rebecca's speculating a bit, but um, could, I mean, is it just that the attention is is of of the government? I suppose is on acute care, and um, I suppose kind of infection control is going to be something that, um, is you know the NHS is going to need to prioritise for for months. So, are they just kind of blinkered focused on acute care not realizing that actually a lot like the the kind of long term impact of COVID people who've had COVID and, rec- and are recovering from it and then people who've kind of the unintended consequences of COVID um, obviously needing um, care and perhaps a mental health trust a mental health hospital um, do you think that's sort of just been pushed to, pushed to the wayside? I get the sense that
1: it it, it has been. I mean, we're now in it. We're now right now in the last in the the last few weeks, there's been kind of so many reports and data um, suggesting that mental health is the mental health of the public is becoming um, a problem and worse and will will definitely impact services. But yeah, I think up until recently, there has not been the focus there. If you take the one one perfect example is really the winter discharge funding. In previous years, mental health services have gotten a proportion of that, albeit small proportion of that. Um, but they were um, explicitly told um, in the government's more recent announcement in August that it was not applicable to mental health inpatients. Now that's really short-sighted. In if you want to avoid um, people being sent out of area, clogging up um, flow across your bed systems, discharges are a key part of that. Um, so it's really short-sighted. I, it was a really short-sighted move not to um, include mental health services in that mm.
2: uh,
1: in that uh, in that fun, funding.
2: Mm. There, thanks, Rebecca. There seems to be a sort of a, um, a detected in the piece from NHS providers. This sort, and, and I think you've um, talked about this uh, before. Um, you two in a, in a sort of. A good podcast episode about the kind of underlying thing that that people basically want to accuse Boris Johnson of not taking mental health services seriously at all um, and um, perhaps obviously everyone's a little bit s- stopped short of accusing the Prime Minister of anything particularly something so sort of serious and deplorable but um, you know that seems to be the underlying thing is that people are worried that actually pr- Theresa May uh, did um, mm-hmm. prioritize mental health' in these kind of decisions and take it seriously whereas there's a sense that um that, that the prime minister is much more old-fashioned and in, mm-hmm. in, in, in kind of um basically neglecting it is that still kind of view out there or is it... interesting point yeah uh,
1: um i would <laughs> obviously i would want to speak for um all old- the uh, not for I'm not not for
2: I just rather just mean for anyone who yeah is that is Well yeah, I think
1: I think that's simple. you can't you can't not you can't not um at least suspect that if you think about the constant delays in getting a white paper out for the Mental Health Act. Um mm. as one prime example, that was kind of Theresa May's one of her big her big announcements. Um
2: and you do st- kind of feel when you think about that high political level, you do think about the danger of COVID as well there of really focusing stuff on um acute physical healthcare but, uh, but at the same time I mean there has been there was quite a rapid um, maybe you know in that sort of, s- of social level when I'm you know totally open to being corrected but it feels like in society and the media there has been quite a rapid recognition of the mental health effects of um, of the virus and the response a lockdown and everything and there's not been too much kind of sort of stigma around that but um I agree. I, d- I mean, it's not. if there's actually been other things I haven't.
1: If that's oh, not the case. Yeah. No, I agree. And it's it's definitely not being ignored in media reports, right? You you have seen loads. Mm. Um. So, I, I don't think the public, in terms of in terms of um, talking about mental health, is clearly not where it was ten years ago, or even five years ago. If that makes mm. sense. In a much
0: more open position. Mm. Thanks, Rebecca. I think, um, and anyone listening, if you um, don't already read Rebecca's um, fortnightly column on mental health, it's definitely a must-read. Um, you really kind of get into the get into the nitty gritty on um, really important important issues. Um, before we wrap up, we have a, a few minutes just to talk about some brand new data, kind of um, breaking news, um, <laughs> published by NHS England, um, more around what it's telling us about the coronavirus and. Dave you've been reading the runes um this morning um do you think you can give listeners um kind of just a quick update on what what it's showing at first look first look
2: yeah I can have a go with that proviso that um it's just come through obviously we've been kind of watching you know closely day by day the developments with um uh, coronavirus impact on the NHS as well and that has been felt pretty severely over the last few weeks now in the um in the northwest and the northeast, and parts of Yorkshire. Um, but um, I think over the last week, it, it, it's felt particularly severe and particularly um, uh, growing more quickly, especially in and, and particularly South Yorkshire, seems to have seen mm-hmm. rapid increases in the last few days and week, um, and indeed West Yorkshire. With it, and we've seen trusts across that region and in the northwest cancelling elective care as they um, try to clear out capacity and prepare intensive care um, specialists to to care for those patients. Um, and so that's um, that's what we've been seeing. And the data that's come today gives us a uh, sort of detailed trust by trust or, or region by region look at, um, at how many beds in hospitals are taken up by COVID patients at the moment. Um, and it looks like so. It looks like one trust has has, has just reached as of the twenty seventh. So what's that? Two days ago. Uh, that was Tuesday. Mm, um, two days ago. Had hit um, a third of its general beds, or a third mm. of what its normal general bed base is, mm. has taken up, accounted for by George. COVID patients. That's Blackpool Teaching Hospitals. Um,
0: Lancashire. Mm.
2: Yeah, mm. that's right on the coast in Lancashire, and obviously a um, pretty much the most deprived area of England Um, Mm. Mm. and that's so that's a higher percentage occupancy than Liverpool hospitals which of course is quite a a much bigger hospital trust which is looking about 28% um, of its bed base taken by that and then the next trust by occupancy is Doncaster Doncaster and oh, so that's wow. South, South Yorkshire
0: South yeah, and... South Yorkshire's interesting um because in the first peak and and also Nottinghamshire um not not hit as badly as some bits of of the north I mean you know kind of neighboring um neighboring regions it's it's just interesting that they're, they're having a very different experience this time around yeah Do
1: you think that has made them less prepared than some of the other worst hit regions were for for example london birmingham
0: yeah london's i find london fascinating um because you'd expect london to be the worst wouldn't you but i suppose that's not taking into account i don't know maybe other sort of working um habits um socioeconomic the factors
2: um immunity of a big a reasonable really yeah. chunk of the population so it might be yeah we're sort of uh you're yeah, straying into into kind of um things that the 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 experts have not sort of really been able to show have I know the public Mm -hmm. health directors in you know in uh well the public health director in Yorkshire has talked about well why is um the north broadly been so much worse affected Mm -hmm. and talk talking about factors like well one thing which we did write about quite you know extensively and early in HSJ was that the levels never dropped off to the same extent in the northwest especially so there was more coronavirus there so there was more to start spreading when it was given the you know opportunity by the weather and things to and using of measures to spread there was a high, much higher base and at that time and and you know and um, Greg Fell who's the um, excellent public health director in Sheffield as well is talking about um, things like um, housing more multi-occupant occupancy households more people who have to go to work in person um, mm. and you know can't afford to not go to work um, deprivation and so on, um, there's more frailty so uh, you know more um, clinical frailty so a kind of vulnerability to actually needing to go to hospital if you do actually get the virus as well which can make the effect on hospitals more severe um, but yeah it's not it's not really proven why the mm. north is being hit so hard um, but I could just quickly say that although well, there, there is there is this very strong regional um, pattern this time with the northern regions and some bits of the Midlands, but more like the northern bits of the Midlands being affected um, quite severely, there are we can see in the data today, I think that there's some some areas which are not um, there are actually seeing quite rapid increases. Um, let me see if I can pick them out. Uh, so, in um like in Dartford and Gravesham Trust in Kent there was quite Mm. a quite a rapid increase still nowhere near coming up to the levels of like a big um of the big hospitals in the north but um Dartford and excuse me Imperial. so Imperial College, obviously West London, seeing mm. like reasonably steep increases in the numbers coming in, but still you know way below what it was at peak and everything like that. Mm. Um, but it, I don't know. This kind of these signs say that actually other areas of the country are not um, are not immune. Um, it's just, and the big question obviously being whether they how that will develop whether it will continue rising and they're sort of Mm. they they are you know it two or three weeks behind the net in northwest or whether actually that curve will be completely bent and they won't won't get find themselves in that position
0: I think the new data um, published by Public Health England around the age the age um, specific data is really interesting because it's so that it's kind of showing a huge peak in sort of, I think it was um, obviously kind of student age, people kind of around sort of 18 to 24, and then incredibly dr- dramatic dropping. Um, and I don't know, it's just, it's just very interesting, isn't it, when you have it split into that kind of granular detail. Um, but for anyone listening, Dave, why can they um, read about kind of the full reporting of this data on HSJ?
2: HSJ.co.uk, yeah, uh, Jack Sell, uh, my our colleague on the data is kind of uh, crunching it as we speak and we'll publish it shortly on Thursday afternoon and um, we'll put it on Twitter as well.
0: Brilliant, well thank you both very much for your time, Um, it's time to draw the podcast to a close this week Um, and as ever if you enjoyed us um, don't forget to share and, um, and you can find us on the HSJ website and all main podcast channels. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week.